Hi, this is Giles. I appreciate you tuning in to this podcast and thank you for supporting our ministry campaigns. It's my prayer that these podcasts will help you to experience God's very best in every area of your life. Great, guys. Well, it's so good to have you all with us. Welcome once again. Um, I just want to spend a few minutes uh, and not too long, but continuing with the series so that we can get through it. Um, Because I know that this is proving to be a real help to so many pastors and leaders. Um, I've been teaching to remind you about how to have wonder-filled or wonderful church services. And um, I told you that I'm saved today because of a wonderful church service that I participated in as a young man in New Orleans. But I almost went to hell because of a terrible service or services that I participated in during my upbringing. And I feel that there are so many people in the same boat. So as people grow up, they check in and check out of churches. They come across believers. They come across believer meetings. And if the meeting is irrelevant, if it's not full of the power of God, the presence of God, the word of grace, then they're honestly speaking, they're going to go, most of them are going to go and look somewhere else. And so it's one thing to get people through the door, but it's another thing to keep people. Most churches have the front door open and the back door open too. So we've got to close the back door so that when they come in, they stick. And people will stick when they find life, when they find something that's authentic and real. And so as ministers, really the church service is our main point, main focus of ministry, just reminding you that you can do all sorts of different types of meetings, whether it be discipleship meetings or Bible school classes or evangelistic crusades or counseling sessions. But actually your main work is your Sunday service, is that regular meeting, certainly as a pastor. If you're itinerant evangelist, then maybe not so. But I think for a lot of you who are tuning in, you need to make your Sunday service the best event in town and it must be the best part of your ministry now again you can hold cell groups and we don't want to despise cell groups because they are absolutely vital but actually the Sunday service is an expression of the full-time minister the cell group is an expression of the body all the all the body but there are some of us who have been separated to live entirely for the gospel So we're full-time ministers. And so our primary focus each week is the Sunday service. And so nothing else should get in the way of our planning and preparation of that meeting so that it's just life-changing each and every time we gather. It's got to be top. And Christ has given us all the the, uh, ingredients for success, so to speak. I told you about the fact that we have the best message that a human being can hear. If your message isn't really, really amazing in terms of what the the content of your message, then you're not preaching the gospel because the gospel produces great joy. Philip went down to Samaria, the Bible says, people that the Jews hated. And the Bible says he preached Christ to them. Didn't preach 10 steps, three reasons. He preached Christ. And the Lord confirmed it with signs and wonders. And the Bible says that there was great joy in that city. So the preaching of Christ always produces great joy. It's fantastic news. If your message is not fantastic news, then you're not preaching the gospel. So we've got the best message any human being could ever hear and that is that no matter who you are you're much loved no matter what you've done there's forgiveness available no matter what happens it's going to work for your good no matter your weakness 
God offers his strength. No matter if men reject you, God will never reject you or abandon you. Hallelujah. There's so It's all good news. So we've got the best message. The second ingredient is that we've got the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. No other place in town has that. No other, no concert, no theater, no cinema, no nothing. We have the availability of the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit. And if he is not manifesting, something's wrong. Let me say that again. Something's wrong. It, there's no excuse for it. He should manifest in every meeting. And it comes back to the first point. If you preach Christ, he'll manifest. If you preach self-help, he won't manifest. I've been talking a lot recently about how the Holy Spirit is a dove. He only descends where he feels welcome. The doves are very sensitive creatures. And he'll feel welcome where Christ is preached. Do you understand? You see, the fire falls where the blood's been poured out. That's how sacrifices work. The sacrifice of Elijah okay, produced blood and then the fire fell upon it. So if you preach Christ crucified, the blood, then the fire will fall in that place. If you don't preach Christ crucified, if you preach what man needs to, to do, the fire won't fall. So people ask me the whole time, why do you have such manifestations in your meetings? Why so many miracles? Why so many people filled with the Spirit? Why such a powerful move of God? It's really, really simple. I preach Christ crucified. That's it. That's my only message. So that's the key. So we have that. We have the best message. We have the powerful presence. And then we have the communion of the saints. We have a, a, a gathering of people with new natures, the nature of God. And no party, no concert, no other gathering in the world, political rally, nothing. We have, we'll be able to compare that. We have a group of people who are learning to love one another unconditionally. So if an unbeliever comes into your meeting, he should really sense a difference. Nowhere on earth is he going to be loved quite as much as he should be loved in your service, in the presence of the saints. And again, if that's not happening, then there's something really wrong. Your, your people aren't saved. They're not regenerated. Because if they are, they should be the most gracious people on earth, the most loving people on earth, and the most happy people on earth. Amen. So that makes for a terrific environment. If you think about it, all of us want to be in a loving place where we're really celebrated. Uh, most, most places you go to, you're not celebrated. When somebody walks through the door of your church, they should be celebrated. Even if they're dressed like a prostitute from the streets. Hello. You know, but sadly, those types of people walk into churches and they get criticized and condemned and people don't want to talk to them. I'm just rejoice whoever comes in through the door. I'm just so happy that people have come to hear me preach. I find that a real privilege, a real honor that somebody would take their time to come and listen to what I have to say. So I celebrate every single person. Hallelujah. Amen. So let's just keep this focus. Let's really make our services, we say in Portuguese, top, okay, top, or wonderful, or wonder-filled, as I said. Now, I think in the last session, we were talking about how to prepare the service, uh, the environment, talking of chairs and pulpits and seating and illumination and background music. Do you remember we got into all those things? Um, can somebody just remind me, did I deal with leading the meeting? Can anybody remember? Did I deal with leading the meeting as a pastor? Did we get that far? I don't know if we did. So let me deal with that because I'm kind of talking to you specifically today about as a full-time minister And as a full-time minister, you should have a spiritual weight that other members of your church don't have. When the pastor or the evangelist gets the microphone, the atmosphere should change. And one of the reasons is, it, it, it is because you're called, you've been separated. You remember what Ephesians uh, chapter four, Paul teaches that 
Christ has given gifts to the body, some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. So he separated a group of people, rather like the Levite tribe was separated from the other tribes. So he separates today. And you know if you've got it. I mean, I knew when God called me. I was in business, and I was a square peg in a round hole. So when God called me and he showed me that I was called to the ministry, uh, I just knew that that was what I'd been made for. You couldn't convince me otherwise. It destroyed all my other plans for life. And so you know it if you've been called. And I'm sure I'm talking to all of you guys. I believe you know that. But it's one thing to be called or be separated by God. It's another thing to separate yourself. And that's exactly what the apostles did. In the book of Acts, we read that they, they decided to not wait on tables. To, they appointed deacons to be the ones to look after the feeding program, to look after the orphan program, the widow program, etc., so that they could be separated to the ministry of the word and prayer. So again, that shows you as a full-time minister, what your priority is. It's the ministry of the word and prayer. Okay. Now, does that mean we don't do other practical stuff? No, often we need to help out with all the other practical stuff. But that can never take up more time or be a more important than the ministry of the word and prayer. You are the fountain of the revelation of Jesus Christ for your people. So you've got to prioritize that you've got to serve up every week a spiritual banquet of grace and revelation and wisdom from above that's your primary calling above everything else amen and so when a when a pastor or a minister comes up onto the platform or takes the microphone there should be a shift in the atmosphere because the man of God is there, the guy who's been studying the word, the, by who, the guy who's been in prayer more than everyone else. And that should mean that you have an authority like other people don't have in the church. Are you hearing what I'm saying? If your voice sounds like everybody else's voice, then you haven't separated yourself. And again, I'm not trying to make a distinction between clergy and laity in the sense of, who's greater or who's more important. I'm not saying that. What I'm just saying is that each of us has our calling. Some of us have been called to the ministry. doesn't make us better, just makes us different. All right? And you are different, therefore be different. And one of the differences is that you carry an authority, you carry an anointing to minister to the people each and every week with great light and revelation. Amen. So I say that because one of the key things is in this area is that when you're holding church services is that you need to let the leaders lead. Don't let anyone into your pulpit. It's not the time. It's not the time. I've got friends who are great businessmen, great sports personalities. They can do a lovely, you know, really good talk or testimony or share or lead a cell group and do lots and lots of things. But um, they're not there on Sunday to preach. They're not, you know, maybe interview them, but not much more than that, okay? Because it's the time for the pastor to stand up, the preacher to stand up, the minister to stand up. He's the one who spent time in prayer, getting direction from the Holy Spirit for where the church needs to go to. You're hearing what I'm saying? The Spirit still speaks to the church. You're the one who consents what's going on in the spirit realm. Sense where your flock are at in their hearts. You have spiritual discernment. You have time to pray that through, to think that through. Guys who are out there in the workplace, working secular jobs, they don't have that time. So they shouldn't be leading. You should be leading. So don't let them lead. Use them, you know, as I say, in a certain capacity if you need to. But this is your time. In a sense, your time to shine. And don't be ashamed of that. I remember years ago, I was preaching in London. And I preached a message that just, I felt, came from the throne of God. 
anointing was on me, anointing got on most people, came out really well. And this lady came up to me at the end of the service and she pointed a finger at me. She said, you need to be careful, young man. You're trying to take the glory from God. And I found it really strange. Everybody else was so blessed. And this girl, this lady came up to kind of try and, you know, criticize me. I think she hated the anointing. I think that's why. But the Lord spoke to me in that moment afterwards when I was thinking about it. And he said, son, no, I will make you shine when you minister. But just remember this. Huh? The shine that's upon you is like the shine that's upon the moon. The moon shines bright at night, but it always remembers this light isn't mine. I'm just reflecting the glory of the sun. But the moon needs to shine. You need to shine. You're hearing. And of course, we know that it's not our light. It's the anointing on us. It's the light of the sun of glory that makes us shine. But a moon that doesn't shine, a dark moon, is not good for anyone on earth. Can't guide anyone. You're hearing what I'm saying. So that's the first thing about about leading your meetings. You are God's man of faith and power for the hour. Shine. Amen. Get up there with authority. Get up there and let it out. Get up there and minister with power. Okay. You're God's ambassador. He's going to speak through you. Amen. Okay. Let's think a little bit more about this. The second thing is that your church will always in a sense, be a reflection of you, okay? It will follow your rhythm. If the pastor's happy, the church will be happy. If the pastor's full of condemnation, what he'll do is he'll condemn the church, and so they'll be full of condemnation. So you need to be in the right place. You need to be in the right place. Uh, you need to be in the place of grace, not in the great place of perfection. Remember, the church isn't a place of the perfect. It's a place of the pardoned. Okay, so you need to be in that place yourself. It's not that you need to have had a perfect week and be perfect in everything. No, you just need to be in the place where you so appreciate the grace of God. Because if you're in the place of grace, then you're going to express that to everyone else. You're just going to get up and say, guys, I've got good news for everyone here. The Lord loves us. He's patient with us. No matter if you've messed up or made a wrong decision this week, the Lord's grace is sufficient for all things. There's new mercies every morning. Hallelujah. There's no situation or circumstance that is beyond the grace of God. Do you understand? So you reflect what's in you. But if you get up all condemned and feeling terrible about yourself with your eyes upon yourself rather than the eyes upon the Lord, then that's what you'll, that's what everyone else will do. Okay. So uh, be in the right place. You know, in English, we tend to say if mummy's happy, then the house is happy because a mother sets the atmosphere at home. So if the mother's not happy, everybody suffers. Everybody. Uh, but the same in a church pastor's not in a place of joy, then the church is going to suffer. All right. So remember this, that, that um, happiness is a choice. Amen. It's not a feeling. You choose it. Sometimes you may arrive at a church service and you've got a hundred pressures on you. You may have even had a fight with your wife in the car, but you get up there, you choose happiness, you remember the grace of God, and you're God's man of power. You don't need to pull out all your dirty laundry and show it to the church. That's not the time for this. Amen. Hallelujah. Let me tell you another point. I think we're on number three. When you minister, you must be relaxed. Too many preachers are tense. Relaxed. Enjoy. If you're not enjoying, you're not really in the place of grace. You're in the place of your own strength. Relax. Enjoy. God's going to honor you. I used to get very tense before I ministered. Okay. And I would worry that my sermon would be sufficient. But I've discovered by the grace of God that even if I've only got two fishes and five small loaves to offer, 
that God's going to multiply it as I give it across to him. So what I mean by that is your sermon may look very basic when you write out your points, when you prepare it. You might just think, oh, this is so simple. But I tell you, when you stand up, God's going to multiply it. God's going to breathe life into it. God's going to make it go a long way. So don't worry, relax. Okay, relax, enjoy. One of the big secrets in life is to keep playing. The kingdom of God needs to be like a child, Jesus said. Children are great at playing, really great at playing. The only difference is, is that now we've grown older, okay, we should play with bigger toys, more complex toys. Because if you play now today with a dinky toy, you know, a dinky car, one of those push around cars, or I don't know, you play a game like snakes and ladders, or the sort of games you play as a kid. For an adult, they're too simple, you understand? But actually you still need to keep playing. And this may sound irreverent, but really you need to see your ministry like a big game, a game to play. I was on a mentorship call recently and there was a young man who leads a big organization in the States and he was getting very stressed out about some decisions that he had to make. He wanted to know which way he should go and what he should do so forth involved millions of dollars and i said to him in the end i said look you know what do you you know make a decision on based on what you like to do things that if you can approach it as a big game because when you when you enjoy things they flow hallelujah if your service if you don't enjoy your service it's not going to flow you follow what I'm saying here? You really should be getting up there just thinking, this is a wonderful game I'm playing. I'm, I'm the pastor here. We're all playing this together. It's the game of life. We're building a church. We don't need to stress because actually it's the Lord who does it. So my point is this. Be relaxed. Be rested. Whatever makes you relax before the service, do it. Again, there's a lot of pressure at times for the pastor or preacher to pray for three hours on the top of his voice before he even gets to the pulpit. I used to do that and find that when I got to the pulpit, I would be exhausted, so tired, and my voice would be shot. So, you know, my prayer, I think I've taught you this before, I believe in the prayer tank rather than necessarily you know, the praying before. In other words, imagine you have a tank, like a tank of gasoline, and you can fill it up any time. Do that with prayer. Pray during the week. Pray every day. Pray in the mornings. Pray in the evenings. Pray at all times, Scripture says. If you've done that, your tank will always be full. And therefore, if you've got time for the meeting to pray, hallelujah. If you've got no time, hallelujah. The tank's full. If there's things to organize before the meeting, then do that. Sometimes it's best just to relax, sit down, have a cup of coffee, so that when you get into the pulpit, you're relaxed, okay? And you can do that without feeling condemned, brothers. You're hearing what I'm saying? The devil is against you. He'll want to condemn you before you open your mouth. He'll want to show you all your faults, all your failings, okay? Tell you you're not spiritual enough, you haven't prayed enough, whatever it is but you need to get rid of that kind of thinking. Otherwise, what you'll do is you'll whip your flock. You'll beat the flock. You hearing what I'm saying? God didn't let Moses into the promised land because he beat the rock. Okay, God told him to speak to the rock. So when the rock in this sense represents the body of Christ, okay? So we speak to the body of Christ. We don't beat the body of Christ. So if you have a preacher who's beating the flock, then he won't get into the promised land. He won't experience God's best, nor will his people. Okay. So we speak sweet words, loving words. We don't beat up our people. Amen. Let me give you a couple more. 
start well. When you, when you start a service, start on a high. Now, I've said relax, but at the same time, don't look like you just got out of bed. Lord have mercy. And you can tell that to your, your worship leaders. I'll come on to that in a minute. But whoever's on the platform is representing Christ. You know, some people get onto the platform, they look like they got out of bed five minutes before. Some worship leaders, they start singing and their voices aren't even warmed up. They're crackly, singing in the wrong key. So when you come into the pulpit, you've got to be ready to run. You've got to be full of life. Hallelujah. So what, does, what you know, you've got to get yourself into that place as well. I remember watching years ago some videos of evangelist Oral Roberts, who was a great evangelist of the last generation, saw many miracles in his tent. And I just was amazed watching him come out onto the platform. He wouldn't come out before, whilst during the worship. You might not agree with that, but this is what he did, and it was impacting. He would stay behind the stage, hidden. When he would walk out, he would, he would grab the microphone with such, not just physical force, but spiritual violence that it seemed like the whole crowd would rock back in, in a kind of shock or awe. And he would just start preaching like there was no tomorrow. It was awesome to watch. So here's my point. When you, when you lead a service, you've got to be warmed up. You know, if I get my facts correct here, I think it was in the 1950s that Hungary won the World Cup football. And they didn't really have any good players, top players, but they beat everybody. And somebody was doing some research and they realized that Hungary would always score goals in the first half. And then in the sense, the second half, they would just shut the door and hold on for the victory. And so they looked further to see what was the cause of Hungary's success. And they realized this, that Hungary was the only team at that time that would warm up before the match. So all the players would go out onto a different football pitch and play a half an hour or more warming their bodies up, shooting the balls, practicing, rolling over, falling, getting up. And in those days, nobody did that. All the other teams would come out onto the field cold. And so that's why Hungary would always score goals in the first half. And they won. Now, obviously, as soon as people realized that, then all the teams started doing that. So today, nobody plays without warming up. But if they do that with physical things, so much more we should do that with spiritual things. So many preachers aren't warmed up. You know, I was doing, I noticed this, I was doing a mentorship course before, on, on a Sunday morning, before the Sunday morning service. I don't know, it was like seven o'clock in the morning till 8.30 or something. And then straight from the mentorship course, I would go to preach in, in church. And I noticed that, when I'd done that, um, it's kind of like the revelation was already flowing through me. So I always preach much better. Now, you might not be doing a mentorship course before your Sunday service, but you could practice your sermon. You could preach to yourself. You could, whatever it takes to warm you up. You could worship God. You could pray, like I say. But just make sure that when you get into that pulpit, you're running, you're not walking, you're alive. Remember, you're a leader. A lot of people who are in the church service, they've come straight from their beds, but they need somebody to lead. What is a leader? Somebody who's in front of them. You follow, somebody's further down the road. Hallelujah. So do that. Start well. When you get the microphone, as I said, you should speak with firmness. You should speak with authority. Remind the people of how much they're loved. A pastor, a preacher, he has a certain posture, a certain weight, the way he walks, the way he talks. He doesn't walk around kind of 
talking quickly and stressed out and jumping from thing to thing. No, he's in a place of peace. He's already been with the Lord. The, the storms of life have been calmed in his heart. So that's why he can calm the storms in other people's hearts. Remember the disciples on the boat, they all panicked when the storm came. Jesus got up and spoke to the storm and calmed it. Well, why did he do that? Because he already had peace in his own heart. Do you follow? When you're in the place of peace, you'll be able to calm the storms in everybody else's heart. But if you yourself have turbulent waters of stress, you're not going to calm anyone's waters. And let's remember, a lot of people come into our meetings very stressed out. So they need to hear the word of peace, the word of authority, the word that the Lord is in control. Just believe, just rest. The good shepherd is here. He's going to protect you from the wolves. You don't need to protect yourself. A sheep can't protect itself from a wolf. We've not been asked to get victory ourselves against our enemies. It's the greater one in us that gives us victory. It's the pastor who protects. Hallelujah. So your voice needs to be a representative of the good shepherd, reminding people we've got a great pastor who's going to protect you. No, you're not going to suffer harm. Just lie down in green pastures. Hallelujah. Eat at the table of the Lord today. You'll find he'll get you through that valley of the shadow of death. Goodness and mercy are going to be your testimony all the days of your life. Hallelujah. Amen. Okay, number five, guard the spiritual atmosphere in your meetings. It's a massive one. You have to decide that your meetings are going to be electric, are going to be anointed, they're going to be top, going to be full of life. You have to make a mental decision that you don't accept cold meetings, lukewarm meetings. And you then understand that you are the one that sets the temperature. You're the guardian, you're the pastor, you're the leader, you're the candlestick in that area. And so you're the one who determines what type of church you have. If it's not on fire, then it's nobody else's fault but yours, because you, get, you are the one who determines it. So I say that, you may have heard the teaching, between, the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat. The thermometer measures the temperature. The thermostat sets the temperature. As a pastor, you're not a thermometer. You're a thermostat. You decide the temperature, the spiritual temperature of your church. I made a decision a long time ago when I started planting churches that I wasn't going to accept a lukewarm meeting. As an evangelist as well, wherever I go and minister in other people's churches, I don't accept. As soon as the authority is passed to me, in a church, I don't accept a lukewarm meeting. I, I change the temperature. If, if it's not hot already, I change the temperature. Do you follow? I'm a thermostat. And so you can measure the spiritual temperature of a meeting. Okay. And if it's not where you want it to be, then you need to take it to that place. And I say this because as pastors, we often open the meetings. So we can already start kind of building the fire. You know, I was out camping with my family the other day for Titus's 20th birthday on top of a hill on the farm. And we built a fire there because it was windy and cold. It was a little bit difficult to find the, the kindling wood to get it going. But you know how it is to start a great fire. Starts small, you just get a few dry bits and you get that going and you add more to it and add more to it. And that's your job at the beginning of a meeting. You're the igniter, you're the match. And then you spread that fire to one or two around you. Okay. And then you bring more and more people in. So you do that at the beginning of the meeting until you've got a fire blazing. We had a huge fire on the top of that mountain the other day but it started small. But here's the point. As a pastor, you don't necessarily always stay in front of the church. In fact, often pastors hand over to a worship team 
Now, that worship team may or may not be really anointed or really on fire. Often worship teams are not. They go through the motions of singing songs, but there's no anointing. It's just Christian music. There's no sense of the presence of the Lord. Okay, so as a pastor, you now have to decide, well, what do I do? Because often these guys are up in front of the people for 45 minutes, sometimes an hour. And that's half of your meeting. And it's a dead meeting. And like I say, your meetings need to be top. So you've wasted half of it because you've let the leader of the group lead instead of yourself. And he's, you may have even brought the meeting higher, but now it's gone low again. Again, my advice is don't let that happen, even for a moment. If you sense that the meeting is diving, that it's getting colder, don't wait for the worship leader to heat it up. You get up. Take the microphone back. Say, do whatever you need to do. Say, brothers, let's pray or prophesy or use one of the gifts of the spirit or share a word or you yourself begin to lead the worship. Because all of you who are leading churches should be able to lead worship. All of us can lead worship. I'm saying you need to have a voice like Frank Sinatra, but everybody can sing. You should have an anointing when you sing. Like I said, you should have authority when you sing. So it should make a difference. So if you've got young guys on the stage who really are not producing fire, then take back the leadership or stay up there on the platform with them. You don't have to hand it all over. You're hearing what I'm saying. I mean, a lot of the, Worship leaders these days and worship teams are young people, single people. You don't know what they've been up to the night before. You really don't. I mean, they could have been watching some pornographic thing on TV and masturbating. And they come into church first thing in the morning and are now leading worship. Now, listen to me. I'm going to say something that's going to shock you now. It's not what they did the night before that really counts. What really counts is that they are now in a place of condemnation. And like I said, if they're in a place of condemnation, they can't flow in the anointing. If they're in a place of grace, they can. So they're still struggling with the fact that they, they still feel condemned. Even if they messed up the night before, but understood the grace of God, the pardon of God that has washed those sins away, then they would be able to lead ministry, but a lot of young people who get up on the platform are full of condemnation because of their impure life. They haven't understood grace yet. You know, it's not sin that stops the move of God. It's condemnation that stops the move of God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So you've got to be aware of that. You're a guardian of the spiritual atmosphere. You can sense it. When Paul arrived in the city of Ephesus in Acts chapter 19, he asked the believers there, he said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Why did he ask that? I'll tell you why. Because he sensed something was missing. You know, rather like Sejil was saying earlier, he's been leading a cell group there of Christians, but he's discovered now actually they're nominal Christians. They were raised in traditional denominational families, but it, half of them never been born again. They've certainly not been baptized. And so he's had to go right back to the beginning. He perceived where they were. They haven't been filled with the spirit. You have that ability. You know when somebody's full of the spirit, just as you know when you're full of the spirit. You can tell when somebody's overflowing with life, with wisdom, with revelation, with commitment to the Lord. You can tell that. And so you can discern your meetings too. You, you know if it's an anointed meeting or not. You know if it's top or if it's dull. Don't try and deceive yourself. You know if there's an anointing there. You're the pastor. So if there's not, then it's your, it, it's your responsibility. That's my point. You have to make the change. Don't wait for the worship leader or the sister in the crowd to shout out, no. If you do that, you're not the leader anymore. Do you follow? You've been separated for this ministry. Hallelujah. Okay, next point. Always have a goal for the meeting. Every time you meet together, have a goal. All right? Know where you want to get to at the end of the meeting. 
That's what a goal is. Okay. In football, the ball that's in the middle of the field needs to get into that net. That's the goal of this game. Okay. In church services, the goal of the meeting is what? You have to decide. I'm starting here, but where do I want to finish? Let me give you an example. Billy Graham, classic evangelist who just preached salvation, didn't preach healing, didn't preach the filling of the spirit, didn't really preach anything else, just salvation. Trust in Christ and be saved. Every time Billy got up to preach, he knew what he wanted to happen. Where he was standing in front of him would always be a great empty area in front of the chairs. What, did, what was his goal? To fill that area with people confessing Christ. That was his goal every single meeting, to fill that area. And so if you listen to his messages, he doesn't preach and then give an appeal. No, his preaching from the beginning is an appeal. He appeals to people right from the start that they need to give their lives to Christ to be saved. He had a very clear objective. Now, he's an evangelist. You're more than an evangelist, some of you anyhow. So you have to preach the whole counsel of God, not just salvation. You need to preach many, many topics discipleship and servanthood and relationships and finance and, and leadership. And it's just the list is enormous character. But every time you get up, you need to be clear what you want at the end of that meeting. People who have goals achieve them. Their churches go places. Their people feel fulfilled at the end of each service. They know they've arrived. They feel like they've achieved something every time they come to church. A lot of believers go to church and they think, oh, I don't know if it was worth it today. And therefore, I don't know if I should go back next week. Because there's never any sense of accomplishment, of achievement. Remember, when you achieve a goal, there's a great sense of satisfaction. When you watch a football game, you don't get a goal, nobody's really satisfied. But if you do get a goal, even if it's just one, everybody's happy, can't wait for the next game. Same in church. Have a goal. What's your goal this week? Are you trying to, I don't know, help people prosper more? Then preach along that and give them an opportunity to do something at the end that will help them prosper. Are you preaching to get people healed? Then preach along that and then end with praying for the sick. Are you preaching on leadership? Well, preach along that and then ask people to come forward who want to be leaders. Have a goal. Be clear, okay? That will really help you and help your people. In the end, you get what you preach for. So be clear in your message. In the future, I'm going to talk about preaching. But let me just mention this right here, right now, okay? When you preach, to be a good preacher, you need to preach one main thing, just one. What's the main thought of the day? Bang that drum again and again and again. Keep saying it, come back to it, repeat to it. It's just one main revelation. That's all preaching is. Be focused on that. You know, you can't catch two chickens at the same time. You've got to go after one. Get that one down. What's the goal today? Okay, preach for that and you'll get it. Amen. There's a simplicity in our message. The best preachers are like that. They just keep going after that one thing in each message. Amen. Hallelujah. Um, and finally for today, let me just mention this as well in terms of leading your people. Know your people. Know your culture. You're the leader there. Okay. So when I say that, when you're leading your people, you need to know where they're at. You need to know what's going on around them, what's in their heads, what's in their hearts. Again, when it comes to preaching, you need to preach what's appropriate for the occasion. Sometimes I hear messages that have got nothing to do with what people are going through. Jesus knew his sheep, knew his disciples. You know them. Preach to where they're at. Do you follow Preach to bring them forward. Don't go off and preach something that's totally irrelevant. 
Know your sheep. Know what's going on around. Know your culture. Some churches, they're, how can I say it, they're difficult for people to visit because when they go in, um, the pastor makes them feel exposed or embarrassed or constrained in some way. You know, I think I'm quite normal in many senses. I love church. I'm a minister. But if I go to visit a church, you know, I want to be able to feel comfortable. Most people, when they come to our churches to visit us, when we have visitors, they don't want too much attention. They just want to be able to sit there and taste, taste the food, uh, test the water, see if they like it. Your job is to make them feel comfortable, not uncomfortable. You're hearing what I'm saying? So never do anything as a leader of a meeting that will cause somebody to feel uncomfortable, feel constrained. When I arrived here in Brazil, I struggled so much, and it's partly cultural, but I think partly a lack of wisdom from some younger pastors. They would say things like, hold the hand of the person at the sun. And we would stand there, and I'd have two men on either side of me, and I'd be holding their hands for the next 20 minutes. It's not comfortable for me that. I'll be honest with you, to hold a man's hand for 20 minutes. It's not. Maybe it's more comfortable for Brazilians, but I don't think it's comfortable even for many of them. Some are even worse. You go to some places and they say, take the hands of the person of your, by your side and look into their eyes and sing. <laughs> now, you know, I might do that with my wife. In fact, it's the only person in the world I'd ever do that to is with my wife. To be about, you know, 12 inches away from their nose and looking into somebody's eyes. Boy, in a church service. I, I tell you what, I'm never going to come back to that church. You can pay me, but I won't come back. I'm not going to do that with a stranger on my side. I'm not. And so a lot of people, you know, we think, Sometimes that visitors come and visitors go because they're so hard-hearted and they don't want Jesus. But it may just be that you got them to sing into some guy's eyes standing next to them and they weren't comfortable with that. And so they're now worried that if they go back again, you'll make them do it again. So they decide to go to a church where at least they're left alone just to sit and listen. There's no force, no pressure, nothing uncomfortable to do. I mean, I think I spoke to you about practical things on the last group, but it's very interesting, this. Some, I, I, one of the things I say is that your church building may be a beautiful place, but if the loos, if the toilets are terrible, then actually people may, might make a decision whether they should come to your service based on something like the bathrooms. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Now, I know that, that um, you guys on this call are men, other people who are going to perhaps listen in the future, maybe ladies, but let me just say this. For a man to go for a pee in a urinal is one thing. For a woman to go for a pee, you know, in the loo, it's another thing. Plus, women have other needs. They have their menstrual cycles, and et cetera, et cetera. So what am I saying? Uh, maybe you don't value a positive experience in the bathroom too highly. But if your wife doesn't like the bathroom, if she thinks it's a terrible, dirty place, then you won't return to that church. She'll tell you, I'm not going back to that church. So once again... You might, you might criticize people who come and go from your church services saying, ah, oh, well, it's because they didn't want to repent or they didn't want to hear my message or, you know, but actually it may just have been that they had a negative experience in your bathroom. It may just be that they had a negative experience holding hands with some big man on their side. And let's remember as well, sometimes we do this hugging thing. I don't know how it is in your culture. Here in Brazil, we do a lot of hugging. Wow. But some churches, you know, you have single ladies there who are quite timid, young. 
And now then, then the pastor gives a direction to hug the person on their side. And some big, beefy guy grabs a young girl <laughs> and hugs her like, you know, doesn't let go for a, too long, a few seconds too much. I tell you, that girl might not come back next week just because of that. So I'm teaching this morning about how to lead a meeting, okay? You're the leader, you're the pastor, you're the minister, you're the evangelist. Certain things, wisdom, certain things that, that you can do to make the environment really positive, really hot, and really free, free. Just where people relax and enjoy so that they leave wanting already to come back. Remember what I said at the beginning of this series. You know, church should have queues at the door. People should be lining up to get in on a Sunday morning. They line up to go to the nightclub. They line up to go to the cinema. They line up to go to the theater, but they tend not to line up to come to church. Why is that? Uh, why is that? Do they, are they only coming because of tradition? Because it's Sunday? Because they'll feel bad if they don't? Because the leader will condemn them if they don't? Those are terrible reasons to come to church. They should be like David in Psalm 122. I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. They should be thrilled. They should be waking up on Sunday mornings thinking, hallelujah, it's Sunday. It's blessing day. It's the best day of the week. I'm so glad I'm off to church. And so if we create the right environment, spiritual environment, you can be sure they'll be lining up at the doors. Amen. If you have never personally accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, pray these words after me. Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins and ask you to wash me clean with your blood. Give me a new heart and a fresh start. Come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. Now that you have prayed that prayer, we believe that you are saved. Get in touch with us at thegreatmission.org to receive your free digital booklet, Welcome to the Family. The ministry of Giles Stevens is maintained by the prayers and financial support of monthly partners. More and more people are looking up rather than around for answers to life and are open to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wherever the ministry is holding campaigns, thousands are responding and seeing real life transformation. Would you consider joining us taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations by a monthly contribution, no matter the amount? Friends. Together we can fill God's throne room with people from every tribe, nation and tongue. That's the vision we have for all of our partners, that in the future when we stand before the Lord, we will be able to celebrate together when we see people from all nations coming in as a result of your support. So if you'd like to become a partner of the ministry, please visit us at www.thegreatmission.org. Thanks again for tuning in. Remember to subscribe and to share this podcast with a friend so that God's kingdom can keep growing in you and through you. God bless you.